So torment your children. That's how they'll turn out healthy. That's what we want you to know. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, this is a great time to remind you of Saturday night services. Uh, 5 and 7.45, uh, 6.45, 5 6.45. Uh, if you're in here, if you're out in the cafe, 5 and 6.45. Um, Saturday night, the services are identical, except there's seats and parking, and Jesus will love you more. If you come, he'll bless you. You'll get a new car. It will appear. Uh, but uh, you may want to think about that. Encourage you to keep that on the mind. If you can uh, make that move and free up some seats, that would be fantastic. And let me also remind you that in about, uh, I'd have to look at it real closely, but it's eight or nine weeks from now, the extension opens, which is a huge thing. Uh, something we've been, yeah, you can clap about that. It's exciting. So uh, we've been working on that for about a year, and it's, uh, the construction is finishing up. We're kind of doing the final details, and then we'll take it over and get it organized. And uh, mid-October, which is only eight or nine weeks away, is when we'll open that up, and uh, you'll have some uh, different options uh, to uh, participate in Grace. So looking forward to that. This weekend, we're kicking off a series called The Grown Up, and uh, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at our family relationships, our family relationships. And I think what you're going to find over the course of this series is there's going to be lots of levels that you can embrace it at. So... Uh, if you're here this weekend and you're not real into Jesus and the God thing, you're just kind of hanging out with somebody that is completely cool, over the course of this series, what, what you'll find is you'll get some really kind of practical tips about how to engage whatever your unique family situation is. Uh, if you're here and, and you're kind of into it a little bit, but you're mostly like for the kids, which by the way is very, very normal. Most people come back to church to give their kids some kind of moral foundation um, over the course of the series, you'll get kind of that moral foundation a little bit, something you can work with the kids. Or if you're here this weekend and you're like diehard into Jesus and you're like, I want to follow Jesus with all my life, uh, then you can digest all of that on those very, very deep levels. Like how, how can God change me and how can that change affect the people around me? So uh, the series is going to be fun that way and it's something that you can take away every week and, uh, and lock on to. This weekend, I'm going to kind of intro it. So you're going to leave today and you're going to think, hmm, he didn't hit my stuff yet, which is cool. Here at Grace, we think in terms more in terms of series than in terms of just individualized conversation. So you'll, you'll have to come back over the course of the series and we'll probably get to your individual situation, but we'll only have the conversation that applies to you on Saturday night. It won't happen on Sunday. <laughs> We're gonna talk about Leviticus on Sunday morning. So uh, <coughs> keep that in mind. But we'll get there. You'll just kind of have to, uh, to hang with it a little bit. When you think about family and you think about uh, the Bible, it's interesting how the Bible approaches kind of the conversation about family. It addresses it in an individualized kind of relational way, which is, makes a lot of sense because that's actually the way that your family works, all right? So we tend to want family to be like this unit you know, and so we want to find like math that works for the unit. So we want to look in the Bible and we wish the Bible said, if you do A plus B, you'll always get C. One plus two equals like, like phenomenal kids kind of a thing. And it, it doesn't work that way. The Bible doesn't teach it that way because our individual, our family relationships are individualized relationships, all right? So uh, I'm one of five children in my family. Uh, four of us are still living. We lost a brother when he was young. And so there's four of us still living. And uh, my mom and dad have passed away. So it's fascinating when us adult children get together, 
how we have and kind of discover that we have like these individualized relationships with our parents and then with each other. And our role or kind of our concept of the individual relationship always comes into the family conversation. So you start telling family stories. My mom isn't around to referee it and correct the record anymore, right? So you just have your version of the family story. So my brother is the oldest. He's very old, very, very old. We get him from the home and we bring him over to the, to the holidays. And uh, he ha- he's kind of, the, he's the family hero by, by, by far. And so he, the story's always like heroic from his position. So he's like, the house is on fire and I quickly organized all of you and got you out and saved your life, you know? And then my sister is the antagonist and she's like, the house is on fire because you set it on fire, you idiot, right? You know, so it's like that. And then I'm the baby of the family, so I think I'm just the, ble- I'm like, that. you guys should just be glad I made it through, because I make everybody's life better, you know? You know, I'm the one who brought joy and conclusion to the family, at least that's what mom always told me. You know, so it's, you have all these, in it, and then you have, I had this relationship with my dad, well my brother had a different one. And so there's no way to, to look into a family and no way to go into the Bible and say, well this is the principle that will make your family everything that you want it to be. What you find in the Bible is the Bible, when it talks about family, always talks in terms of your response to God, your response to God. So as a husband, me, I'm to respond to God this way. As a wife, I would respond to God. As a child, the Bible talks about that, how a child is to respond to their parent. So it doesn't, it doesn't talk in these broad terms. It talks about these individual relationships with God. And then as I receive from God, as I receive his love, his truth, his direction, and I download that, kind of digest that into my own heart and soul, then that reflects over to whatever the relationship is that I happen to have. Now that's a big deal, that's a big deal. Because families don't work in this homogenized way, right? So, so we can look and say, well, you're supposed to have a biological mom and biological dad and biological kids and everybody. Well, it, it doesn't work that way a lot of the times. 40% of families in North America are blended on some level, right? So it just doesn't matter that way. So if, if there was this formula, you would look and say, well, the Bible is supposed to work this way, but you know, we have a divorce. Or it was supposed to work this way, but there was a death. Or it's supposed to work this way, but there's an adoption. Or it's supposed to work this way, but I'm like a surrogate parent. You know, I'm raising my grandchildren, or I'm the uncle, and I'm trying to help my nieces and nephews because my sister flipped out or whatever. It, 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 it would all break down, and the Bible would be of no help if it was organized that way. But because the Bible is organized in such a way that it's really my relationship with God and who God has called and directed me to be that spills over into the relationships that he's brought around me, all of a sudden, how your family is constructed is not relevant. So if it's a blend, if there's a divorce, if there's a mix, if it, 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 God would look, the, the principles and the truth of the Bible would look and say, well, because it's you and God, it applies. What, whatever, however your family happened to become your family, this truth applies and God will speak into it and help with it and there's great things that can come uh, because of it. So that's how we're gonna kind of work it through. And we're gonna talk about a family blend and step parenting and surrogate parenting and, and siblings and the roles that siblings can play. That, that conversation 
was actually a big deal to me because my brother was so influential. My brother was like a rescuer for me in, in my life. So I'm, I'm big on like siblings. You know, you can really help and invest in your siblings, nieces, nephews, all, all the rest. Whatever the construct is, there's real solid truth in the Bible that will, that will help it, okay? So we're gonna talk it through, but this week I wanna talk through three things, three things that's true of every family, okay? So here they are, you can write them down if you want. Here's the first thing. The first thing that's true of every family, doesn't matter how your family came to be your family, the first thing that's true of every family is that you have no choice in who your family is, all right? You didn't get to pick. Your involvement was that you were born, Okay, so you don't get to pick your mom, you don't get to pick your dad, you don't get to pick your parents' marriage, you don't get to pick your cousins, you don't get to pick your siblings. You were given the family that you're given, and one of the things that's true of every family is that you don't get a choice in who who your family is, right? We'll talk about that more in a minute. Here's the second thing that's true of your family. The second thing that's true of every family is every family looks at another family and wishes their family was like that family. Okay, so every one of us looks outside of our family and we think, man, I, they got a better family than we got, right? And, and we would look at the way that they live and think, well, they're better at this than we are. And that is true of every single family. That's not just you, that's, that's everybody. And the third thing that's true of every family, and this is really what we're gonna build this series around, is this one, ready? Every family has a leader. Every family has a leader, period. That leader can have a positive leadership, they can have a negative leadership. That, 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 that leader can take the family multiple directions, but there is someone in every family that when that person walks into the room, that family conforms to what that person's like. Every single family is like that. You cannot escape it. And it can be a dad, it can be a mom. I've seen families led by five-year-olds, okay? But every family has a leader, and that's true of all of us, okay? So let's pick these apart a little bit. Three things are true of every family. You don't get a choice in it. Somebody else's is better than yours, and every family has a leader. Here's the first thing. You don't have a choice in who your family is. You just got stuck with your family, right? You do have a choice in how you respond to that truth. So you can't argue it. You just can't argue it. I didn't have a choice. I didn't, I didn't cause the divorce. I wasn't born. It's not my fault. Like, it, I just got thrown into this mess. You don't have a choice in that, but you do have a choice in how you can respond to that. And there's one or two ways, one of two ways that you can respond to the truth that your family is your family, there's nothing you can do about it. The first way that you can respond, and this is a very valid and very typical response, you can be resentful of it. So you can look and say, Man, I just lost the genetic lottery. Like, I just got screwed over in this whole thing. Like, I didn't do anything. I was just like this embryo, and then I got born in this family, right? And I didn't, my dad left, or my mom freaked out, and the step, I didn't pick my stepmom, and I don't, I don't even like my cousin. I don't know why she's my sister. And like, I'm just stuck. And you can go through your life, and you can resent the family that you are in. And many people do that. They spend their life trying to get away from their family. And they spend their life just trying to somehow tolerate the crazy and, and they, they dread it, you know, and, and oh, the holidays are coming. And you're like, it's August. I know, but it'll be here soon. And, you know, it's like you just dread it, right? Because you can, you can resent, like, these people cause me pain. 
These people caused me frustration and I got stuck with them. And it's not my fault my dad's a diphthong, right? I, I didn't have any choice in it. And that is a very valid option. You can choose that option and many, many people do, okay? And they'll kind of live in that misery and live in that resentment. Now, I would submit to you, there is another option. And it also is a very valid option. And the other option is this. I can look, I have no choice of who my family is, that's just true. I can look and say, well, maybe God designed it. Maybe God designed it, right? Uh, a parent-child relationship, a parent-child relationship is much more spiritual than it is biological, hands down. It, you, you have a parent, your connection to your parent is a spiritual connection. If, you, if you've lost a mom or a dad, you know that when that void is created in your life, it, can, it can't be replaced. It is a spiritual connection, much more than it is a biological connection. So I could look at that and I could say, well, wait a minute, maybe, maybe God designed this family and he was behind it all. See, you look at your sibling, a sibling connection is much more spiritual than it is biological. In fact, there's a high probability that you will have a stronger friendship with someone who's not your sibling. But when your sibling needs help, you're like, oh, I'm coming. Because there, there's, there's some kind of tie that's there, right? Parent, child, same, same thing. And then marriage mimics it. It's, it. We have a choice, obviously, in who we marry, but the Bible would say, once that's made, the marriage is much more of a spiritual tie than it is legal or, or physical. It's a spiritual thing that God joins together the man and the woman, and they take that vow before him. So I, it, it's a very valid option to say, well, I'm just stuck in this mess. It's also an equally val, val, uh, valid option to say, God designed it. Now I'm gonna look and say, God is the one who orchestrated these people to be in my life, okay? Can't help the fact, your family's your family, you not think in the world you can do about it, but how you view it is a choice that you have. Now the second thing that's true of every family is that other families are always better than yours. That's, it, it, we're all like that. Ask any teenager, they'll tell you. Like their parents are better than mine, right? They're, I go to their house and their mom likes, makes cookies and, and she, feeds us, and they always have soda, and we're allowed to watch whatever movie we want over there, and they, you, you're the worst parent ever, and they're the best parent ever, and, and, uh, uh, uh. so, wait, by the way, teenagers, that's the way you sound to your parents, and, and so it's like, right, and so it's, you, you always hate that. Now, that's, that's true, everybody thinks, it's just the way it is, it's no big deal. By the way, that's true in marriage. So every husband looks at another wife and at times saints, well, she's a better wife than the one I got, right? There's, I'm not talking about anything sexual. I'm just talking about like pure wife stuff. And it's just the way that it is. You look and you're like, man, he's got a good wife. Like he comes home, there's dinner on the table. The house is clean. The kids are sitting there with their hands folded <laughs> waiting for me. She has a summer dress on and she's like, hello, dear. Did you slay the dragon today, right? And you're like, man, he, he got, I, I wish my wife was more like that. Every husband thinks that about another wife. And by the way, wives, it works, the, it works in, in verse, right? So every wife thinks that somebody else got a better husband than she's got. Like, he got, her husband prays with her, 
compliments her. He's so gentle. Man, if I was married to Pastor Jeff, my family would be, you know, that must be what it's like. It's like church around the dinner table. And my husband be sexy, too. Like, it's just a... I know, it's a burden I bear, I'm used to it, right? Well, we all do that. I do it, Heidi does it all the time. Like, it's like, we all think that. We all, we all look outside of what we've got and we think, man, they got something better than what I got, all right? It's just normal, it's no big deal, right? Because everybody thinks that another family's better than their family. Now, here's the danger with it. Here's the danger with it. When I start daydreaming, I'm not talking about being like, I'm not talking about being gross. I'm not talking about sexual stuff. I'm talking about just daydreaming, like, man, look at how their family works, right? They're the Brady Bunch. They love each other. They pray for each other. I hate them, right? <laughs> so we start, we start daydreaming about something else. This is what happens. When you start daydreaming about something else, you stop investing in what you have. When you start daydreaming about something else, you stop investing in what you have, right? So, fellas, you ever go look at a new truck? I was doing this the other day. Like, you're, looking at, you're looking at new trucks, and you look at the new truck and how nice the new truck is, and then you get back in your truck, and you're like, man, my truck's a piece of junk, right? Or you start looking at a new house, you're like, oh, this house is so nice, and then you look back at your house, you're like, we live in a shack, you know? And it's because when you start daydreaming about something else, you stop investing in what you have, right? Now... Let's start doing some math. I, have, I don't have any choice who my family is. I had no choice in it. Nobody gave me a vote, right? I have a choice in how I respond to it. Do I resent it? Always want to get away from my family? Or there's another valid option. Do I look and say, well, maybe God created this family? Okay, God created this family. Now, go down to number two. Everybody daydreams about somebody else's family. It's, just, it's, no, it's, it's really no big deal. It's just kind of the way it is, right? But if I give my thoughts over to the daydream, I don't make the investment. If God created this and God put me in it, and if I invested in it, what could happen? Listen, you should never stop daydreaming about your marriage ever. Never. Always dream of your marriage being better, always. You should never stop daydreaming about your family. Always dream of your parenting being better or the family being closer. You should always dream about that. Don't forsake the reality. Don't give in to the reality. Well, this is what we are, so we're always gonna be. It doesn't have to be that way. Because if you invested, could you shift it? Could you change the game? And the answer is, yes, you can. Well, how do you know? Because every family's got a leader. Every family's got a leader. And if that leader stepped in, whether you're supposed to be the leader or not, man, I'm just uncle so-and-so. It's just my kid brother. Didn't ask that question. Doesn't matter how it formed, it matters that it is. Every family's got a leader. And if you engaged leadership, could the dream come true? Did God create and place you in it so that you could be the grown-up, that you could change it or move it or direct it into something that reflects more the idea and the heart and the mind of Jesus, okay? So this is what we're going to talk through the next few weeks. And we'll, we'll pull it apart. We'll land on some of your individual situations, I'm sure of that, and, and, and we'll work it through. But that's the idea. If, if, if God designed it and I'm here and I invested in it, and if I embraced leadership, 
If I was the grown-up, whether I'm supposed to be in charge or not, right? Whether I'm supposed to be, my dad's gone, it should be him, but it's not, it's me. Could God do something through that? Now, I told you, you're going to leave here this weekend, and, and I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions in one sitting, so you got to embrace the, the series a little bit. But what I do want to do, I want you to be able to leave here this weekend with hope. I want you to be able to leave here with the hope that God can take whatever your present situation is and elevate it and cause it to be something that looks a lot more like what you dream about maybe even as opposed to what you're living in right now. And I wanna introduce you to this person in the Bible if you've never met him before. And he's a guy that I think really will help us have hope because of his family situation. He came up in arguably the most dysfunctional family in the Bible. And I say arguably because almost every single example of family in the Bible is a family dysfunction. Like if you lived in dysfunction junction, you kind of made the Bible kind of a thing. Because I think God understands the reality of the human condition. That our families are, are not gonna look Brady Bunchish. That, that's probably not what, what it's gonna look like. It's gonna be messier than that. But into that reality, God always speaks and demonstrates great power and great hope. So this guy, grew up in a hugely, massively dysfunctional family. He grew up in a blended family, and uh, he grew up with 10 stepbrothers and then a bunch of stepsisters, and he has one biological brother. He, he, his mom passed away when he was young, so he didn't have kind of that stabilizing force that a mother is. It's, a mother's love and her presence is irreplaceable, right? And so he didn't have that growing up, and he kind of was left to this dysfunctional uh, mindset that he was in. His father was left married, when his mom died, his father was left married to a woman he didn't love. So this is Old Testament stuff. Relationships work very differently in the Old Testament than they're supposed to work today. And one of the things that happened a lot in the Old Testament is men had multiple wives. It was normal. It, was, it wasn't the, a big deal. God changed it later on. So this guy married one woman, kind of got tricked, married a woman, got tricked, didn't love her, and then married this guy's mother later on. His mother died, and he's stuck with the one he doesn't like that much, okay? So imagine that marriage dynamic, okay? Like, I'm married to you, and I don't like you. Some of you are like, yeah, that's my house. I grew up like that, right? And so, but that was him. He grew up in that environment of a blended family. The stepbrothers were her boys, okay? And he grew up in this kind of this painful, frustrating situation. He and his biological brothers were, his biological brother were hated by his stepbrothers. Now his stepbrothers were no joke. These, these, were, these were tough guys. So for instance, their sister was a rape victim. The, the, the 10, one of their sisters was raped. What they did in response to that is they went in and they killed the village that the rapist came from and cut them up into pieces. So when his stepbrother was like, if you don't knock it off, I'm gonna kill you, you were like, oh, yeah, he will actually, you know, it's not joking. So these, these were intense people, right? And a very intense family situation that he grew up with his, his stepmother hated him. She resented him and his biological brother, of course, all the marriage dynamics there. His grandparents had passed away, so there's no other stabilizing force outside of like his dad, 
Very, very, very intense situation. His stepbrothers resented him so much that when he was 17, they kidnapped him, in essence, and they took him and they sold him into slavery. And then to cover the fact that they sold him into slavery, they faked his death and tricked his father into thinking that he was dead so that his father nor his biological brother went out and looked for him. He then spent the next 11 years of his life as a slave in Egypt. He was sold into slavery. So he's living a slave's life. 11 years into it, he's falsely accused of something and winds up going to prison, okay? So 13 years, he's either a slave or he's in prison, all because his brothers, his stepbrothers resent him and his stepmom hates him. This is a very, very intensely negative family situation. And this guy's name is Joseph. And what happened while he was in prison was fascinating. It's kind of a long story, I'll just summarize it for you. One of the things that Joseph was able to do was he was able to interpret dreams. God would help him to do that. And so the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream, nobody can figure it out. Somebody was reminded that Joseph knows how to do it. And so the Pharaoh called on Joseph. Joseph interpreted this dream and he said, here's what your dream means. Egypt is gonna have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. If I was you, Pharaoh, what I would do is I would build barns, put them up, stock it up, and then when the famine hits, not only will you provide for the Egyptian people, but you'll make a ton of money off the people who are starving to death. Pharaoh listened to Joseph. Joseph got elevated to like vice Pharaoh. So he goes from prison to being the, the, the second most powerful person in the world. Pharaoh, uh, Egypt was the superpower of the day. Pharaoh was the God king. He could do whatever he want. And, and Joseph wound up being like assistant Pharaoh kind of a thing, right? Literally all powerful. 17 years later then, or, thir- or 15 years later, I'll summarize the story. His brothers and his family is starving to death because of the famine. 15 years later, his 10 stepbrothers are standing before him begging to buy food. They don't recognize Joseph because not only does he look Egyptians, and Egyptians would kind of present themselves in a certain way, but he's 15 years older. He went from being a boy to a 30-year-old man, right? So they don't recognize him, and here's Joseph These guys suddenly pop back into his life he hasn't seen for half of his life, and they're begging for food, and he is faced with this moment, okay? He is all-powerful, literally. He can exact revenge on his brothers if he wants to. He can have them killed. Nobody nobody would ever think twice about if he had them killed. He could throw them into prison. He can beat them. He can send them home and let them starve to death. So here he is, and the Bible says that this was such an emotional thing for him that he would break into tears and have to run out to his private room and he would weep out loud. Now guys, I want you to, I want you to capture this, okay? Pull, pull this out of Bible story land and put it into your life. How much does your family pain still affect you? How, here you are, a, a grown adult, most of us. Grown, grown man, and my father's dysfunction can still affect me. My mother's abandonment can still affect me. My, my, my parents' emotional 
withholding can still affect me. Here I am all these years later, and that guy abused me shows up in my marriage. That guy left me shows up in my relationship. The way my dad interacted with me affects the way that I interact with my kids. Think about this. This happens to us all the time. All the pain and all the junk that we deal with is people that comes from our family that I had no choice in the matter. I don't even like them that much. I think other families are better. And I'm stuck still dealing with the junk that was pushed upon me from my family. Now take that and add into it being sold into slavery and thrown into prison and 15 years of your life lost. And there's Joseph. And it overwhelms him, even as an adult. And take into that the opportunity, I can, I can level this thing right now. I am justified. What you did to me, the years that you stole from me, the pain that you caused me, the dysfunction that I, I deal with and wrestle through every day, I am justified. And by the way, Nobody will question me. I am literally the second most powerful man in the world. And you who abused and robbed me, I can exact revenge on you right now. What did Joseph do? This story crescendos in Genesis chapter 45. Grab your Bibles if you got them. I'll show it to you. Genesis chapter 45 it's page 33 in the Bibles in the chairs. We use the Version app if you're electronic. Here is Joseph in this climactic moment. All of this pain, all of this junk, and now this is his opportunity to do whatever he wants to do with it. Verse 1, chapter 45, then Joseph could no longer control himself. Remember, this is the second most powerful man in the world. He could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, catch this, this is massive, because it was to save lives that God, I circled it, underlined it, and highlighted it in my Bible, God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five, there will be no plowing or reaping. Verse seven, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. In the moment where Joseph, all the things he ever taught, you know, I'm gonna kill them one day. I can't say, I don't want anything to do with in the moment in which he could have done that and completely been justified and totally gotten away with it. Joseph came to a different conclusion about what his family was and who he was in relationship to it. 
Joseph made some fundamental decisions and some fundamental conclusions that, that served as a foundation for the trajectory of his family. Joseph concluded, ready, this is, this is huge. Joseph concluded that God created his family. He didn't have any choice in it because nobody ever does. That's a timeless truth. But he looked and said, no, I'm not just stuck with these crazies. I didn't, I didn't just lose the genetic lottery. God, God sent me here. God created. God in his sovereign, I don't even understand it. I don't know why. It's not what I would have done. But I'm choosing. I could choose to do away with them. It's a valid option and one that was totally at his disposal. But I'm deciding differently. I'm deciding that God ordained this. And I'm going to trust and I'm going to engage and I'm going to believe that for whatever crazy reason, God was in that. He fundamentally made that decision as a foundation. He fundamentally decided that it was God who directed his life. I'm sure when he was going into slavery, he was thinking, there's got to be a better family than mine. But over the time, he made a different decision. You know what? There's better families than mine, but this one's mine. God created it. God put me in it. God, it wasn't even you guys who sold me into slavery and got me stuck in prison. It was God. God sent me ahead. God, this crazy path that I'm on, for some reason, God placed me on it and God has directed it. It wasn't even you. You thought it was you, it wasn't you. It was God who had a higher calling, higher purpose, and, and I, did, I have to lock on to him because I don't know what else to do with it. You didn't do it. Don't be terrified. Don't be distressed. God did it. And it's for you and for his glory that he did it. He made that fundamental decision. God created this family. God designed this path. And here's the third thing. He made the fundamental decision that I respond to God. I don't respond to you. I respond to God. I don't respond to you. You don't define me, crazy brothers. You don't define me, stepmom, wicked witch of the East. Christ is the way we would say it. Christ defines me. I'm not responding to you. If I was responding to you, I'd just kill you all. Nobody would, nobody would look twice at me for doing it. It, even, it might even hang in the Bible, but certainly in the culture I'm in, I'm the second most powerful person in the world. I do whatever I want but I don't respond to you. I respond to God. And God defines me, and God directs me, and God created this family, and God placed me in it, and every family has a leader, and I'm the leader, so instead of exacting revenge on you, I'm going to deliver you. I'm gonna lead you out of this mess. I'm gonna bless you. Here's your food. I'm going to restore us, bring dad and Benjamin, get them up here with me, and I'm going to inject a new DNA into this family because that's who God would want me to be. It doesn't matter what you want or what you've done. It matters who God is and how I'm responding to him. Huge, huge. 
And they're choices. They're choices. It's, it's a false belief that I'm defined by my family. You're affected by your family. You can be defined by Christ. It's a false belief that my environment dictates. No, your environment affects you. It doesn't have to dictate you. Who made up that rule? That's wrong. God can direct. God can change. God can transform. And when Joseph did some fundamental math on the timeless truths, I didn't choose my family, right, God did. I didn't choose my path. There's better paths that I'd rather be on, right, but you're not. God put you on this one. And every family's got a leader. And I'll lead you, and I'll deliver you, and I will bless you instead of harming you because I see that God has orchestrated this plan through me. Guys, there's hope. There's hope. Because it only takes one grown-up. It only takes one grown-up to affect a family. It it takes one grown-up to change the course of a generation. One grown-up to inject peace into a family. Joseph could have killed his brothers, and then Joseph's children and his brother's children would have worn at each other for generation upon generation upon generation. But one grown-up changed the course. One grown-up introduced peace. And that family went from a perpetual civil war to being the foundation of the nation of Israel. Because one grown-up, it wasn't even his job. He was fully justified. He just took it. God, you put me here. God, you steered me here. Every family's got a leader, and this is my moment. One grown-up can change it all. One grown-up can bring blessing out of destruction. You could, Joseph could look at life and say, you ruined me for the last 15 years. He didn't. He looked and said, and said you guys prepared me for how I'm about to bless you right now. Go get dad and everybody. You're gonna be a part of my blessing under my leadership and my protection. One grown-up. One grown-up can introduce godliness into a family and change the whole DNA of the family. One grown-up. So you can look and you can say, my, my family, you say, Jeff, well, you don't understand, we don't have any kind of Christian heritage. Right. Well, there, there's no kind of Christian DNA in us, no, no Christ-centered DNA. Right. Where's it supposed to come from? Well, you. You can do it. I don't have any Christian heritage in my family. The, the, the Bogue family is not associated with Jesus until you get to Clarence David Bogue, my father. One guy, one guy. Change your whole family. And every one of my father's children and every one of his grandchildren walk with Jesus. There's no heritage. There's no, you go back another generation, there's nothing but alcoholism, dysfunction, and destruction. But one grown up who was given nothing from his dad changed it. See how it works? There is hope. There is hope for your family. I fundamentally, completely reject the idea of a hopeless relational situation. I reject it out of hand. 
If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you believe in the power of God and the sovereignty of God, if you believe that God can transform a heart and change a mind, especially if there are other followers of Jesus Christ in your family relational circle, then you must theologically reject the idea of a hopeless situation. You do not have a hopeless marriage. There is no such thing. If you're a follower of Christ and your wife or husband says he's a follower of Christ, then the Bible says you're both filled with the Holy Spirit, if that's actually true. The Holy Spirit cannot war against himself. You may have a difficult marriage, you may be in an awful spot, but there is no such thing as hopelessness. If you quit responding to each other and a husband will respond to Christ and a wife will respond to Christ, that marriage can be repaired. I reject the whole concept of a hopeless marriage. I reject it. I reject the concept of a hopeless person. You can say, well, my kids are so far gone. They're so far in rebellion. They're so far away from God. It's hopeless. Wrong. Wrong. I'll prove it from the Bible. Wrong. I reject it. Because God can change and God can do miracles and God can alter. There is no pain that's so deep that it cannot be overcome by Christ. Well, you don't know what my dad did to me. You don't know what my mom did to me. And I don't know, but I do know that God can heal and God can overcome. And they can stand before you in your moment and they can be in need and it can all be misery. And you can look at them and say, thank you, God ordained this. I love you. I'm going to bless you. Hopelessness is not even a biblical concept for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. I reject it. The Bible rejects it. God rejects it. It doesn't exist. And it doesn't matter how your family came to be your family. There's not a thing in the world you can do about that. But the reality of what you have right now is something that God is in. And you didn't choose it. And you may not even want it. But you're in it. And every family's got a leader. And if you embrace, what what could happen if someone embraced and someone changed? And guys, listen, this is is not like far off Bible talk stuff. I've I've been in this gig long enough now that I've seen this happen. I've seen marriages that are screaming toward the ground and you think it's gonna crash and burn and I've seen two people that are trying to respond to God pull up at the last second like the plane like scrapes the ground and comes back up and I'll stand there and I think, I can't believe that worked. And then I had a guy look at me and he's like, well, you're the one that said it wasn't hopeless. I was like, I know, but I thought you were the exception. I mean, I cannot believe you guys are still married. And you're not just still married, you're thriving and you're happy and you're in love. See? Why? Because the key to a happy marriage is not to get a new spouse. The key to a happy marriage is to invest in the one that you have got and let God change both of you. I've seen people put in any stereotype you want. We've seen it. Drugs, addictions, gangs, immorality, disaster, lives, just a mess. And you look and say, man, those guys are shot. And then all of a sudden, it's the third rehab and the fourth comeback. And you think, I don't even know if I believe you anymore. But finally, God gets a hold and they let, and God changes a life that you thought was gone. Some of you are sitting in the room right now. You know exactly who I'm talking about and what I'm talking about. It works. The power of God brought to bear on a surrendered life 
means that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. And when I look and say, well, if that's the case, and God created it, and he put me in it, and every family's got a leader, if I stopped responding to the people around me and started responding to Christ, and if I actually received everything that he's offered to give me, and I take on his mind and his truth and his heart and his power, could my dreams become true? And the answer is yeah, all day, every day. See? And who will get the glory for it? God will. Because it will be so evident that God intervened and God changed. It just takes a grown-up. It takes a grown-up. One person who will walk in, sometimes embrace their responsibility, sometimes assume the responsibility that needs to be picked up. And it can be a mom, a dad, a step-parent, a kid, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, a neighbor, a friend. Fill in the blank. The stories are all there. When somebody directed the people that God brought into their lives toward the heart and the mind and the hope of Jesus. And ask the band to come out. And as they settle in, guys, would you just pray this through? I, I know that some of us are in, we're doing really well right now, and that's awesome. You should always want to do better. Always, I want a richer marriage, a stronger marriage, a happier marriage. That, that's a dream you should never let go of and you should always work toward. All day, every day. Some of us are in the most horrifically painful situations that we can possibly imagine. All of it goes before God. See, all of it goes before God. So would you take these few minutes, would you pray, would you think, would you open yourself up a little bit and tell God, you know what, I'll be the grown-up. Change me, show me, direct me. I, I, I will be the one, if you let me, to help lead my family closer to you.